Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. You know, I've been thinking a lot about honor this past week, as you could tell maybe by the Kayla question. And there's somebody else that I think that needs a little bit of honor. And uh, man, uh, is Craig in the house? Man, Craig Moreau, is he here? I thought I saw him earlier. He might have had to leave out. Is he here? He's, he just had to leave. Hey, man, Craig Moreau has been doing a great job with our emergency management services here in Fayette County. And I just think he needs a hand. Amen. Go, Craig. Woohoo! Man, all that team, all the emergency workers, all those people. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, staff at HEB and Walmart. I mean, there's just been people, people in the hospital, workers. I mean, everybody. This has just been crazy. It's been good. Uh, but, man, people need to be honored, and I think it's just a great thing to do. Uh, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, to some of your dismay, I don't know how you root around here, but uh, man, two weeks, two, three weeks ago, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man, they were honored as Super Bowl champs. Man, that's pretty awesome. Brady honored as the official goat yet again, man. Just, it just keeps coming. That guy's awesome. Uh, Kenneth is the Tom Brady of fishing, if y'all didn't know that. Y'all just need to know it. It's a heads up. He, he's the goat, uh, but he's going down in a couple of weeks. Uh, man, I saw in the news the other day that, man, people were being no- nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Man, that'd be a great honor. Man, you know, that'd be amazing. I've been thinking a lot about our high school students lately. Yet just another crazy season of your life with just COVID and now uh, snowmageddon or whatever. I don't know what happened. But I was thinking a lot about you guys and, man, that some of you are going to graduate very soon. But some of you are going to graduate with honors. Some of you have made the honor roll every semester that you've been in school, and I'm so proud of you. Uh, Some of our own students have graduated last year, and now they're on the dean's list at of the college rat, man, they're, they're just taking in all these honors. And the more I begin to think about this idea of honor, the, the more I begin to realize, man, there's just real power in honoring others. For one, it shows a lot of thanksgiving. It shows gratitude in our hearts for people when we honor them. But I also think it has a secondary purpose that it says, hey, when we honor somebody, what we do is we set them aside and we say, look what a great example they are. Why don't you do what they do? If you want to be honorable, we can honor you too. Now, some people are worth honoring, and I think that we should. And among those in the body of Christ that should be honored the most, I think, are just faithful servants. Sometimes an honorable servant, and when we look at that and we think about that, sometimes we just need to see one before we can be one. Sometimes we just kind of find one and say, what does that look like? And then we can kind of follow their example. And as we've been in the book of Philippians, we've talked about that Paul up to this point has been given explanations about kind of the gospel-worthy life. Like, what is it? What does it look like? Explanations tell us our duty, but then Paul moves to give us examples. He moves from explanations to examples because examples show us that our duty is possible. We've been learning about the gospel-worthy life, becoming more like Jesus and our sanctification. And we started last time looking at some of these examples, some of these examples that are honorable. We're in Philippians, and this is this jailhouse journal for the joyous advancement of the gospel. And in our text this morning, we're going to see one more example 
of the gospel-worthy life. Those who are working out their salvation without complaining. Paul moves from instruction and imperative to now illustration. And last time we looked at Paul, who was the hopeful servant, and Timothy, the humble servant, if you will remember. This morning we're going to look at a man named Epaphroditus, and I'm calling him the honorable servant. Not only do we need to see some illustrations of what this life looks like, but we also need to honor those whom are living that life. And so that's exactly what Paul says to do in Philippians chapter 2. So I'm going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to back up all the way to verse 17. I wonder if you'd go there with me and would you rise to your feet in the honor of the reading of God's holy, holy word. I'm in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 17 for just context. Paul says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too. I urge you. Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would generally be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of His prudent worth. That he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. New verses. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he heard, because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, so that I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Oh God, would you bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you will remember, Paul is in prison. He spent two years in a private house kind of run by the Roman government, and he's chained to a soldier, but he kind of has some freedom to do some ministry. Now, the Philippian church, they loved him, and he was the one who started that Philippian church there in Acts 16. They become aware of Paul's situation, and they wanted to help. They realized that Paul was kind of stuck and he couldn't earn money as a tent maker the way he used to and therefore he couldn't support himself and he really couldn't support ministries like, like he used to. So they said, hey, let's take up a collection and let's send it to Paul. Well, who's going to send it? Who's going to go? Who's going to take it? Well, the man Epaphroditus must have raised his hand. They instructed Epaphroditus not only to give Paul the money, but they also must have told him, hey, we want you to stay with Paul and be his servant and meet his every need and help him do whatever he needs to do that Paul can't do. Epaphroditus. We see from the mention of the name Epaphroditus what can happen when Jesus transforms an idol worshiper. 
You see, his name comes from Epaphrodite, which is really from Aphrodite. And Epaphrodite, or Epaphrodite, means the favorite of Epaphrodite. Epaphrodite, if you may remember, is the Greek goddess of love. Though the Roman counterpart would be Venus. Maybe you've heard that in a popular song in the days go past. I'm your Venus, but I won't sing. The name really means a favorite of Epaphrodite. So what we know from that is, is because of his name, then we know that Epaphrodite was really, Epaphroditus was really a Gentile convert. Because no Christian would have named their child the favorite of that crazy kind of a God. So, Paul gives an illustration of this honorable servant. And we learn from our text how we can be honorable servants as well. The first thing we learn is this. I can respond by laboring with other Christians. If I want to be an honorable servant, then I just respond by laboring with other Christians. Paul lays out some attributes of Epaphroditus that can inform us this morning. He says, first of all, we are from the same family. We are from the same family. In verse 25, he says that I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother. Now, this is in reference to how we become family. It's through the adoption of God through Jesus Christ. Once I'm adopted into the family of God through faith in Christ, my identity is changed. When I come to Christ, I become a child of God. And then that makes all other Christians my family. But while this references adoption, it also talks about affection. Because we are family, we have deep brotherly and sisterly love for one another. And there's a deep love that is formed between these two men. You see, when we serve, we get close and we remember that we're from the same family. Now some don't serve because they don't know people whom they want to serve with. And I'm saying that you serve and you'll get to know the people that you serve with. You see, we have to remember that we're from the same family, but then Paul tells us we get to share the fruit. We get to share the fruit because he says in verse 25, he says, not only is he my brother, but he's my fellow worker. Paul is acknowledging that they are equals before God. They extend the gospel together. One is not more important than the other. They're growing the kingdom together, and they will share the fruit of their labors together. Here's the the, the secret, guys. I'm trying to tell you. If you serve in any way in the body of Christ, you get to share the rewards with everybody else. We're all in this together. We get to share the fruit. But then he moves on. He says, but hey, remember this. We're also on a spiritual front. We're on a spiritual front because he says, not only are you my brother and my fellow worker, but you're also my fellow soldier in verse 25. That word soldier is from the word stratios. It's where we get our word strategist from. You see, we're soldiers in a spiritual fight, but we use spiritual strategies, not natural ones. This fight that we fight is of another kind. And Paul is familiar with this as, again, he's chained to a Roman soldier. He's reminding us that we're in an intense spiritual battle, and it's not men that we fight, but we're fighting demons and strongholds, and we have to do this together. Then Paul says that we are sent by a fellowship. We're sent by a fellowship. He says, You're, he's my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. He was also, now he switches and said, he's your messenger. Your messenger. Now the word messenger is the word <clears throat> apostle with a little a. And the word apostle really means a sent one. So the Philippian church has sent 
Epaphroditus. He is the sent one from another church. The, jo- the, the church in Philippi was joining in labor with Paul and sent one of their own to help share the gospel. Did you know that as a member of First Baptist Church, you were sent out by this fellowship to share the gospel and serve others? Now, I'm going to give you some free advice here, and I am picking a bone because I need to teach you correct doctrine. That's part of my job here. When we mentioned the word apostle, there were only 12 capital A apostles of Jesus. There are only 12 of those. There's never going to be another apostle like there was with Jesus with the 12 big A's. But there are a ton of little A apostles running around everywhere. When you and I go out, we are sent from this church on mission. We're little A apostles. Just need you to know that. So here's my challenge to you, and pay attention to me if you're a high school student. Pay attention to me if you've even graduated college or maybe you're older and going through graduating college. I want to ask you to consider being sent out by this church in a couple of ways. As the Southern Baptists kind of come together, we've realized that, man, we need more churches to reach more people across the world, but especially in the United States of America. And so what you can do two years after college You can give your life to go in somewhere in the United States and even around the world if you wanted to, but you can give two years of your life after you graduate college to help people plant churches. What a great way to spend the first two years of your life investing in the kingdom of God with your education, amen? You're saying, well, how do I get more information on that? Well, great, thank you for asking because it's on the screen behind me. What you would want to do is go to www.go2years.net. And you'll find out all the information that you need, all the places that you can go, all the opportunities that you can look into. So if you're going and you're in college right now, if you're listening to me on the internet or by way of radio, wherever you're at, hey, some of our students that are away, I want to challenge you to give two years to be sent by this church. But then also, if you're an adult or in that kind of figure and you've kind of got some education behind you as well, you can spend two years overseas through our International Mission Board. That's the the agency that we have of Southern Baptists that sends people, pays for all their expenses, and sends them anywhere around the world that you feel God's calling. You can do that for two years in a journeyman program. You say, well, how do I find out more information about that? Well, go to the website imb.org forward slash students, and you will find out all kinds of information about that program. But can I also tell you another thing that you can do if you're a high school student? My oldest daughter, Kaylee, did this. It's a program called Hands-On with the IMB. And what you can do is you can find a friend or they can put you with a friend and you can go somewhere for six months helping a missionary do whatever it is that God's called them to do and you can go for six months and be a part of missions to see maybe if this is where your life is being kind of led to by the Lord. What I'm trying to tell you folks is listen to me. God is calling far more people than are willing to go. And I'm saying we got to respond to the call. I want people to be sent from First Baptist Church to the other ends of the earth, but also maybe to plant a church in Fayetteville. I don't know. Justin, are you listening? But anyway, I'm just teasing. (laughs) But we need to send people, amen, and that's what we do when we serve together. But then Paul says, hey, not only are they sent by a church, but then we can sacrifice for the faith. We can sacrifice for the faith because he says not only your minister, I mean your messenger, but also your minister to my need. When Paul reads those, writes those words, the word minister is really the, the word that was talked about the priest who offered priestly services. Paul sees saints as priests. Now, I know that's going to be very hard for some of us because we don't feel like we're much of a saint, but we just sing a song how Jesus makes sinners holy. That's what's happened to you and I when we come to Jesus Christ. We, we now we've become a saint. And what saints do is they offer service to God. That makes us all priests, as Peter says. 
We're priests through Jesus Christ, connecting to God personally and offering our lives to Him through service. So the Philippians had collected this money and were sacrificing as priests to serve Paul so that the kingdom of God could continue to advance. Now, I don't know. I've kind of stole some of this stuff from some people, but this has been around so long, I don't know who to give the credit to. But the idea that I'm fixing to share with you isn't my own. That's what you need to know. But I remember thinking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and how, man, I was watching it with some of my growth group members, and, man, we're having a good time. And, man, they were honored as Super Bowl champions. But after it was kind of over, I began to understand that, that it came down really to this. The team that won the Super Bowl that night was really the team that played for the name that was on the side of their helmet instead of the name that was on the back of their jersey. That's really what it came down to. It was a team effort. When people laid aside their individuality and they played for the team, I promise you Tom Brady didn't win that game by himself. He had a great offensive line. He had a great defense that just showed up and rocked the other team. I'm telling, trying to tell you, listen to me. If we want to be honorable servants, we have to do like Epaphroditus and, and not serve for our name, but, but not the name of Paul, but for the name of Jesus. If we'll be honored as kingdom champions, we have to respond and labor with other Christians to keep moving the ball down the field. So let me ask you this question. Are you with us? I mean, can we count on you to serve? I mean, if we just ask you to do anything, can, you, can we count on you to just go all in and serve? Can we do that? One of the values at First Baptist must be that we are better together. When we serve together, we're better, and we serve better together. Also, by serving others, we help them know that they belong. Do you know that? When you go out and, and serve and meet somebody's need, you let them know that they belong, that they're an image bearer of God. And then when we serve together, we know that we belong together. So if I want to be an honorable servant, I can respond by laboring with other Christians. But then secondly, Paul says, I can reciprocate the love of the church. I can reciprocate the love of the church. There's no doubt of the love between Paul and his church. This love goes both ways, but it starts with this, and here's how it kind of works. First of all, I must develop a serious awareness. I must develop a serious awareness, because in verse 26, he says, Hey, he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. And then, and then he goes on to say that, Hey, I'm concerned about you guys because you're concerned about him. And Paul begins to get seriously aware, and he says, hey, I want everybody to understand, this man nearly died. I mean, this isn't just like a summon aware. This is a serious awareness that we have to understand that, that produces this love for each other. And then he says there in verse 27, he says, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. Y'all see that? But back up to verse 26, because he says, he was longing for you all and was distressed... This is interesting. Epaphroditus is distressed because they heard he was sick. This is interesting to me. I mean, this guy is all worried because somebody else is worried that he's sick. It's just crazy kind of love. That word distress there is used one other time in the New Testament. You know where it's found? It's found when Jesus is in the garden. Because in Matthew chapter 26, the Bible tells us this. Matthew 26 verse 37 I'm going to read it to you Matthew chapter 26 verse 37 the Bible says this and he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed 
Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Now that's the same word, and it means the same thing. Epaphroditus was, was literally almost dying, and now he's almost going to die because he, that he hears that they hear that he's sick. This is just absolutely mind-blowing to me. He's just like Jesus. Epaphroditus and Paul have a serious awareness of what's going on. Paul is aware of the church's and Epaphroditus' concerns, and Epaphroditus is aware of the church, and the church is aware of both Paul and Epaphroditus. But isn't that the church, though? But like, I hurt, you hurt. We bear each other's burdens. I see it happen this week over and over and over again. You, you heard about something and you showed up with an extra pipe fitting or you went to the store and got some meat or you helped somebody take a shower. This is what we do as the church. We, we reciprocate the love, right? Because we become aware of the needs and that's what we do. As the body of Christ, we are aware and concerned about the welfare of another. Jesus said that we be known as his disciples by the way we love one another. But you see, when I'm seriously aware, something then begins to happen. When I'm aware, it moves us to this, then I must develop selfless actions. When I become seriously aware, it moves me to develop selfless actions. When I'm filled with compassion and motivated by love, I then move into action. In verse 28, Paul says he eagerly sends Epaphroditus back to them. In other words, he's moved by what he sees going on in their hearts, and Paul is now willing to sacrifice his needs for theirs. They had been moved for compassion for Paul and sent Epaphroditus and the money to him. Here's the point. I will serve others because I love them. I will serve others when I become seriously aware of their need. And when I move that way, the love in me compels me to do something for them. And I will die and give up myself for others. Others will do the same for me. And they're willing to give up their lives for me. That's the love of the church. That's the reciprocal nature of the love of the church. You see, I read a story about a, a, a professor at a school, and he wanted to make sure that once his students graduated, that they continued to serve others out of compassion. So he had a, a trip down to Haiti every year that he took his students on, and, and he would give them opportunities. And so there in Haiti, what they would do is they would feed hungry people. And so they had this little kind of a shelter built, and, and thousands and tens of thousands of people were starving in Haiti during these days. And so he would get his students down there, and some of them he would assign. He would say, hey, listen, you're going to prepare the food, and you're going to serve the food, and then you're going to kind of pray over the food, and then you're going to make sure that we've got enough food for the next time, and all the logistics have come back next time. But he made sure that every single student had the opportunity to do one thing. And he knew this would keep students serving out of compassion and out of love. He made every single student, every time they went down, he chose one student to do this. One student would have to stand in front of the door, and tens of thousands of people coming in, they would count off 500 people, and then they would have to turn the rest of them away. And for the next six hours, he would have to stand at the door saying, we have no more food. Thousands upon thousands of people he had to turn away. You know why? Because this professor knew that until you personally get involved and become seriously aware of the needs of somebody else, you won't serve out of love, you'll serve out of guilt, You'll serve out of other reasons. And the only reason it'll keep you coming back is if your heart gets sincerely broke by what is happening. Friends, I want you to know today 
You know this all around us here in the Grange right now. There are a lot of people that have a lot of needs. This week has kind of exposed that. But if we truly love the Grange, we will be willing to do whatever we can. When we become aware of a need, we will be motivated to do what? Do whatever it takes to love people. So what do you see when you look around the Grange? What do you see when you look around the needs of this church? What do you see? If you want to be an honorable servant, you respond by laboring with us, and then you just reciprocate the love. And then Paul finally says this, I can risk my life no matter the cost. I can risk my life no matter the cost. You see, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus have shown us that they're willing to lay it all down for Jesus. And if I'm going to follow their example, here's something i got to know. I must be willing to travel anywhere. I must be willing to travel anywhere. Verse 25, he says, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Where is he sending him to? He's sending him back to Rome. He's sending him back to, I mean, to Philippi. He's in Rome. He's sending him back to Philippi. You know how long of a distance that is? That's 800 miles. But this is 800 miles before we had modern transportation. He knows, see, what's going on behind the scene is, is Epaphroditus knows that any association with Paul could cost him his life. Because to be associated with Paul on that day was very dangerous. Because if Caesar at any moment decided to put Paul to death, he was going to put to death any of the people that were associated with him to squelch the movement. So Epaphroditus is like, hey, I will risk my life. I'll travel anywhere, no matter what it means, because it's about the gospel. Traveling that day was less easy, and it was filled with danger at every turn. But I really think you and I have got to think about this one because a lot of people say, well, I'll move anywhere, but. I mean, imagine if I'd have said that about LaGrange. Praise God that I didn't. Praise God that you didn't. You chose LaGrange too, amen? Some of you, most of you. Are you willing to go anywhere for Jesus? I mean, if the Holy Spirit were to speak to you right now about going overseas and he's been saying, you need to go to Africa, would you go? Would you be willing to go anywhere? Would you be willing to travel anywhere? And you can't just think about the safe places either. This is a gospel issue, folks. But then see, if I've got to be willing to, to travel anywhere, then I must be willing to testify to anyone. Verse 27, he says this. He says, for indeed, he was sick to the point of death. He was sick to the point of death. Now, I'm going I'm to help you here just a little bit to, to come to something that was miraculous to me. I, this, this is crazy. How is it that he's sick to the point of death, but I get the point we must be willing to testify to anyone? Stick with me just for a moment. The text says that Epaphroditus was sick, but that he had been healed. Paul says that God had mercy on him. Now, I don't know if he'd been healed medically, by prayer, by a miracle, or a combination of any and all. All I know is that the text says, for Anidia was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him in verse 27. And then Paul says, but God had mercy on me too, that I would have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, that's a clue right there. Paul says that Epaphroditus was sick and nearly died and that he risked his life over in verse 30. And that phrase, risk his life, means to gamble. It literally means to expose myself in a gambling type of way to danger. He makes that idea three times in the text. So after much study, after looking up word studies, after doing research over and over and over, here's what I think. Epaphroditus was not sick in the way that we think he was sick. 
I believe that he was sick, that he was weak, and that he was exhausted almost to the point of death because he had been such a faithful witness of God with Paul there. I believe he wore himself out. I believe he was a committed faithful brother, a faithful worker, a faithful soldier, a faithful apostle, and a faithful minister to the point that he almost died. He gave it all. He risked it all for Jesus. He laid nothing on the line. And he gave it so much so that he became sick. Why? Because he was willing to testify to anyone. To anyone. He was so meaningful to Paul that Paul says God had mercy on him by sparing Epaphroditus. I've been challenged about that this week, guys. I've really been asking myself, am I willing to risk my life to share the gospel? Here's what Steve Brown does most of the time. I'm only really sometimes not even... I guess not even willing to risk my reputation sometimes. I'm not even really willing to risk harassment or just fear of just doing a loss of a friendship, a loss of a neighbor to share the gospel sometimes. But man, here's an honorable servant who was willing to risk his life and he was willing to testify to anyone. Can I just challenge you with that this week? As we go through these 40 days of prayer, Whomever God places on your heart, would you be willing to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them before Easter? Would you just do one? That's all I'm asking you right now. Just one. Epaphroditus did it to anyone. I'm just saying, can we do it to at least one? Then I must be willing to travel anywhere and testify to anyone. And then when I do, here's the beautiful thing. I will be treated appropriately. I'll be treated appropriately because verse 29, he says, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. I love that. Paul, that word says to honor means to welcome, to receive. And here's something I found out doing a word study. It means to receive somebody with open arms. When you honor somebody, you welcome them and receive them with open arms. We see this throughout the Scripture, and I'm going to go past that verse in 1 Corinthians, Kara. Whether we're ever treated appropriately and recognized here in this church or here on this earth, can I tell you that you serving God faithfully, he's going to welcome you home with a well-done, good and faithful servant with open arms. Did you know that? Did you know that? I read this story about a six-year-old girl who had become deathly ill with a disease. She had a rather rare blood type, but her nine-year-old brother had her blood type. And so the family were like, well, man, our little girl is going to die unless she gets a blood transfusion, and so there's nobody else that we can ask. We don't really want to ask her nine-year-old brother, but I guess we have to. So the doctor finally went in and talked to the young man and said, hey, listen, would you be willing to give some of your blood to your sister? Little boy, man, because he loved his sister so much, he's like, sure, I'll give my blood. I love my sister, whatever she needs. So a few days later, they were in the room there, and the little girl, was, his sister was lying on this little table, and he was lying on this table, and they slowly put the needle in his arm and began drawing the blood, and at first, he was just kind of laying there, kind of quiet, not knowing what to expect, not knowing what was going to happen. Then after some time, his lips began to quiver and he began to shake. So the doctor came in and said, young man, what's wrong? He said, when am I going to die? When am I going to die? The doctor said, son, you're not going to die. We're just taking a little bit of your blood. You're going to be okay. I wonder today, I wonder today, would we be willing to risk our life in that kind of way, not even knowing 
if we're going to die or not? Are we willing to say, because of love that we have for LaGrange, because of love that we have for people who, who are lost and do not have the Lord Jesus, we be willing to say, hey, whatever it takes, if it's my blood, it's my blood. Whatever it takes, I would be willing to risk my life to share the gospel. Like, guys, listen, I know that's a high demand. I know that's like way up there. But the principle is still the same. Would I be willing to lay down my life? Here's another value we have to embrace at First Baptist. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes for someone to take their next step closer to Jesus. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to help somebody else take another step closer to Jesus. So if I want to be an honorable servant, I can respond by laboring with other Christians, reciprocating the love of the church, and risking my life no matter the cost. Now listen to this. This is just really cool. You can tell I've been studying. I'm so excited. I love the Word of God. I love preaching. Whether you like listening or not, I don't know. This is fun for me. Listen to me. This is good. Remember Epaphrodite? Remember that word? But that's where we get the name Epaphroditus. Well, you got to remember that Epaphrodite was the goddess of love and luck. She was also the goddess of of beauty. And when the Greeks would take their their dice in their gambling games, they had a common word that they would do. A lot of us call it snake eyes, or we have these words that we like to say. But back in that day, when they would roll their dice and they wanted good luck, they would say this, they would go, Epaphroditus. Because he was the favorite of the God of luck. So they picked up that name, Epaphroditus. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, Epaphroditus gambled with his life to win others to Jesus. And because he did so, there was a group of people that were called the Parabolani or these gamblers. And they looked at Epaphroditus' example and they said, we want to be like Epaphroditus. And so they called themselves the gamblers for Jesus. This group, they, they, this group risked their lives by going to the sick. They risked their lives because they went to people who had infections and communicable diseases. Pay attention. Pay attention, church. And there they would witness to them with unflinching witness and undeserving love. They just gave their lives away. So Nathan, I wonder, man, if you and the, the team would come, I want to kind of close today by telling you about something else that's been near and dear on my heart. And this is where I make people very uncomfortable. But in the city of Carthage around 252 AD, there was a terrible plague that swept through the city. And the people there that didn't know Jesus were so frightened of the germs that were in the bodies of the dead that they literally bagged them somehow and hurled them over the wall of the city, not even wanted to touch them for burial. But Cyprian, the Christian bishop, gathered the congregation of the believing church together, and the church members went and gathered those dead bodies. In an act of glorious human kindness, they buried the dead bodies of those people that were stricken with this disease. According to historians, they nursed the sick people coming close enough to touch them in the infested city. They risked their lives to save some people in the city and God used them as a tremendous force to reach people for Christ because of their love and their willingness to take risks. I'm just going to leave this right here because I'm not wanting to open a can of worms, but I may have already done it. I think we can learn 
about risking our lives in the time of COVID. Do I think we need to be safe? Sure. But do I think some of us are playing it too safe? Yeah. And I think we have to be willing to put our lives on the line if it means other people will know Jesus. I think that's what God's called us to as a church. Who are going to reach people? Why do we keep having services? Why do we keep doing things that sometimes the community says, you guys don't really care? It's because we do care. It's because we say, hey, you know what? If it means that I get COVID, I get COVID. If it, whatever it means, but I'm going to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. I think that's what God calls us to be, that kind of a church in these kind of days. Now, I'm telling you to feel bad if you don't, no. I'm just saying, man, if the Spirit of God has challenged you, I want you to push past the fear of COVID and just follow the Spirit. That's all I'm asking you to do. You just follow what the Spirit's telling you to do. I want to be an honorable servant, and I want to risk it all for Jesus. Here's some food for thought as we close and begin this time of invitation. Did you know that serving Jesus and others is going to cost you? But can I tell you it's worth it? Has anybody done anything for anybody else this week and you're like, man, I wish I didn't do that? <laughs> I don't think so. Man, rats, I had to let somebody use my shower. I don't think that happened. Man, it, I spent $2 in gas going to H-E-B for my neighbor. I don't think we do that. Matter of fact, what I heard yesterday is people were coming out of the showers yesterday. Man, what a joy it is to serve Jesus. What a joy it is to know that, man, some people who didn't have a shower got a hot shower and they're like changed people. Y'all know what a shower does, amen? <laughs> amen. Deep relationships are formed when you're on mission with your brothers and sisters. Do you know that? The church has always been sustained and enriched by people who served. So I guess my question today is, is are you going to be willing to be sent anywhere? Are you going to be willing to serve anyone? And will you be willing to sacrifice anything? I'll never forget, I was in a church in Puerto Rico. And the mission team that I was there with, the leader of that team, he kind of stood up in front of the people there in Puerto Rico and he kind of said this, and he was a room full of a bunch of young people. He said this, who in here would be willing to sacrifice every dream you've ever had so that more people could know Jesus? I remember it was in a room like that where I said, God, that's me. I'll be willing to give it up. I'll go anywhere. I'll tell anyone. Whatever you're asking. It wasn't too many months after that that my wife and I found ourselves over in another country where we had no intention to go. We're so glad. And then I'm up in Ohio doing my thing and got grandkids and everything else. And then God says, hey, I want you to go to Texas. I know y'all love Texas. And I love Texas now that I'm here. I'm telling you, I got here as quick as I could, but I'm, I'm telling you. There's nothing special about me. There's just something about when God says, hey, would you go? One day, would you go? Would some of you consider that? Would you pray about it? Justin and I have been asking, man, we need more people to serve in the church. I'm not going to guilt you if you're not serving. That's between you and God. But I want you to, there's places for you to serve. And I think God's desire would be today that every single person in this room and listening in this audience find some place to serve in his body. This is supposed to make you uncomfortable. 
This is supposed to make you challenge what you really believe. If you are not serving in this church somewhere, you're just disobedient. That's all I can tell you. There's a way for you to serve in this church. Whether it's just praying, and we need people to pray. We have kids ministries, we've got youth ministries, we've got growth groups, we've got greeters, we've got people in the back. People, listen, there's a way for you to serve. So would you do it? Because one day I'd love to honor you as a servant in this church. I'd love to. So thankful, man, that we have people in this church. Now, I want to tell you on the back side, the large majority of this church serves. Y'all know, y'all need to know that. I realize that and I'm thankful. But would you join us? Would you would you just reach out for Jesus? I wanted to get right now, would you just stand in this moment? I just want to ask you to respond. What have the Lord's been speaking to your heart? Would you just respond in some way? Maybe you need to go to the Lord in prayer. This altar right here is kind of open. There's going to be some people that will come down here and pray with you, speak with you. I don't know what God's going to say to your heart, but I can tell you this. There's one thing that I do know. Epaphroditus risked his life so that others could know the gospel. But Jesus gave his life so that we could have the gospel. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if that even doesn't even make sense to you, maybe you came in today and you're like, man, I've been struggling with this. I've realized that I'm separated from God. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I deserve wrath and judgment. And if I were to die right now, take my last breath, I don't know where I would go. I don't know where to spend my eternity. If that's you today, I want you to know there's a really, really bit of good news for you. Jesus Christ said he loved you so much he was willing to give up his life for you. He would pay your penalty. He would die on a cross and be buried and be raised again to give you life and forgiveness. If you just turn from your way, it's a big word, it's called repent. It means just to turn. A change of your mind, which leads to a change of your heart that you just want to abandon the best that you can the way that you were living, hurting God's heart, not loving him with everything. You turn from that and turn to Jesus. He would save you. Come into your life and make you new. If that's you today, man, you can come up here and we'll pray with you. If not, you can pray there in your seat. You can do it when you get home. But I want you to know, man, there's, there's freedom for you and Jesus today. Let me pray. We'll sing and see what God doesn't do. Lord, I, I beg you in this moment to take your word and to accomplish the purpose for which you sent it for. To bring people into deeper relationship with you. And I pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Let's sing together and you come.